everyone, this is Heather, and you're listening to Simply Healed with Heather Leonard. Today's episode, Serendipity, Authentic, Raw Honesty, and Storytelling. And this is storytelling of a couple who went from castle to cancer. And guess whose it is? My own. (laughs) So we didn't literally live in a castle, but we did go from the very top to the very bottom in a very quick hurry. (laughs) So I want to tell that story. I'm often asked, how did it all start? How did it all end? And what happened in between? So today I'm going to share all of that as honestly as I possibly can. I love the word serendipity. Happy accidents are the best. And that's how our love story started. So without further ado, here we go. So my husband and I were college sweethearts, and when we first got together, he was coming off of a five-year relationship, I think it was five years, Um, and honestly, when I met him as a freshman, he, he was a year ahead of me, and he'd been in this relationship so long he was buddy zoned for me. (laughs) Like there was just not a thought of anything else. He was off limits. I'm a girl's girl. Um, and yeah, I didn't see him any other way. It's funny because as time went on, I had a feeling that I, like I'd always catch him kind of looking at me when he didn't think I could see him, (laughs) you know, things like that where I thought, Hmm, but Truly, he was loyal to his girlfriend to a fault, (laughs) and not to a fault, to a beautiful degree, and that's part of the attraction. Somebody to me who is completely loyal, there's just something super sexy about that to me, and he really did um, epitomize like the perfect boyfriend to the point at which, actually, this is a really funny little side note, that I went home for a Christmas break once, and my parents asked me if there was any, you know, guys I was dating or anything like that. And I remember actually having discussed it with my husband, whose name is Barry, by the way, in case I haven't mentioned that yet this episode. Um, I remember talking to Barry before I left saying, my parents would love you. Like if they could pick the perfect guy for me, it is you. And he said, oh my gosh, it's so funny you say that because my parents don't actually really love my girlfriend all that much, but they adore you because they had met me at basketball games and things Um, and they said they would feel the exact same way so we jokingly said okay so we're gonna go home and let them know that we're now in a relationship to make them happy right it was almost like our own little flirty (laughs) banter but it wasn't really meant to be we were just truly speaking from the heart that both of us felt like our parents would have chosen one another for each of us so it was and then actually another thing that my husband said at that time Obviously, he wasn't my husband yet, but he said, you have to promise to call me over Christmas vacation. So he helped me out. This is is a lot of, this is a tangled little web of a story here. So I had a car on campus and they don't allow you to leave a car on campus. Well, my parents had moved to Chicago from little New Hampshire and I had nowhere to leave my car because I couldn't drive it home and I couldn't leave it on campus. So I was going to have to leave it at the airport. Um... And I was all nervous about it and the costs and everything else. So I remember Barry agreed to drive me to the airport. I can't even remember 
somehow we found a, a place to leave my car and he kept an eye on it for me and the whole thing. I don't, I don't know. I just remember him taking care of it basically for me in whatever way it was like, oh, I know what it was. We could leave it on campus, but if there was a snowstorm, we had to be able to move it because they had to plow and it was in a city. And so anyway, um, he took care of all of that for me. And oh my goodness, isn't that what every girl wants, right? Somebody to just make it okay. <laughs> Something stressful comes up and they just make it okay. Well, that was, he was always my guy that way. He always made it okay. And fast forward, I get to Chicago to visit my parents for the holiday. Sure enough, they're asking about any, you know, potential love in my life. And I I bring up Barry and I mention how he's the perfect guy they'd choose for me. And Oh, so you're dating him? <laughs> no, he actually has a girlfriend. I had to own up. I was like, no, <laughs> but we jokingly, you know, said we were going to tell you guys that we were dating. Well, that makes no sense. Yes, it does. I said, <laughs> you know, that was our first response. Like that makes no sense at all. So this is finally the perfect guy. Why were you dating all these other like, you know, losers <laughs> along the way? Why on earth is the perfect guy out there that you know we would choose for you and yet you wouldn't choose him for you? Uh, so I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. So he also, I think, had a little fun laugh with his parents about it. But so anyway, as a part of like him helping me out with a car, he said, well, you just got to promise to give me a call over Christmas, which was like a real step. You know, I mean, that was that was big. So but I was still thinking buddy's own and I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, well, you got to promise. And I said, I promise. And I've never broken a promise to this day in my life. I don't, my dad instilled that in me. It's just one of those things where your word really has to count for something. So it's one thing to say something, but if you promise, you have to hold your end of it. So I made that promise and I remember sitting on my bed Christmas day going, do I call him? Do you not? Like, <laughs> this is, you said you were going to, but this feels really awkward. Like I, who knows who's going to answer the phone. So his father also a Barry. So this would happen from time to time. I would call asked to speak with Barry and he knowingly would say this is Barry and just to try to get me to start talking to him to see what I would say oh it was the worst and I didn't want to call him junior that was weird or like little Barry or what like what do you say so I was like oh gosh so I remember being like this is going to be the most awkward thing ever but I built up my courage and gave him a call um and he his I think his dad answered and did play with me for a minute and then said, no, no, hold on a minute. He's right here. Um, after telling me that they were all sitting down to like Christmas dinner or something, you know, it's like we were on the same time zone. It didn't occur to me. My timing was bad, but not only was he sitting at Christmas dinner, he was at Christmas dinner with his girlfriend. Oh, I was mortified. So I kept saying, I'll let you go. I'll let you go. He's like, no, it's fine. And we talked for, oh gosh, a good 15 minutes anyway, at least. Um, about, you know, what we got for Christmas or like just small talk. But I think that was the first little feeling of like, wow, this, this is like what a real man is like, you know, and this is what conversations should feel like. And it was like the comfort of home for me. Something about him was just comfort and he wasn't my type. Um, which is so strange to say because now there's no other type for me, <laughs> but at the time, I don't know, call it a bad boy phase, call it a, just like I continuously chose the wrong types for all the wrong reasons. But uh, I don't know. I mean, he had every box checked. So up until that point, I had most of the boxes checked. And I felt like 
if they were, you know, somebody who was athletic, then they weren't necessarily somebody who was business savvy. And then if they were business savvy, then they weren't somebody who was funny. If they were funny, they weren't somebody who was good looking. If they were good looking, they, you know, weren't loyal. It was just like every single time I had to keep saying like, oh, well, I'll have to give or compromise on this one thing. And he didn't have anything to have to compromise on. I didn't even know that at the time. I just knew his heart was really kind. He was really funny, outgoing, always making everybody laugh and just sort of like the light in a room at all times. And I was attracted to that, um, but I didn't even realize it yet. <laughs> so um, he does fast forward not long um, after all of this, but he does end up breaking up with his girlfriend. And within days, I think, I don't even remember now it's been so long, but um, he asked me, I don't even know if he asked me to go, you know what it was that our roommates were dating and we started going on like double dates, but it wasn't really like officially a double date. We were just all really good friends and went out together all the time. So by default, we were like a couple, <laughs> it was really strange, but, um, I still remember the first kiss and he, <laughs> we were sitting around watching a movie and he kissed the back of my neck. He was behind me just so gently. I stood up and I went, <laughs> I went right out the door. I remember my roommate being like, are we leaving? And I was like, yeah, we got We have to go. I, she hadn't seen what had happened and I did not know how to respond. It just, it was so much of a jump from the friend zone to thinking about it. But, um, Oh, wow. So maybe a night or two after that, there was like a talent show that he was in. And for the first time ever, he got out of his like, I say this not jokingly. And anybody who is listening to this right now and knows him, oh my gosh, not just him, but every athlete at our college, he wore a windsuit almost every day. It was like their their team windsuit. Uh, like a warm-up, I guess, jersey. But anyway, they all wore it. It was so awful and not like... <laughs> at all flattering or attractive. So when he was wearing just jeans and a white t-shirt, looking all ripped and beautiful, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm sold. <laughs> it was just that. It was like I literally just had to see him in the light of like, I don't know, he grew up like 10 years in my eyes because he looked like this little boy in the windsuit. You know, I was always watching him as the athlete, which I was anyway attracted to. But when I, when I saw him just like, I don't know. He looked like a human. That's <laughs> so terrible. But anyway, I just remember being like, oh my God, I could live with him forever. And it was within like a week that we were officially a couple. I'm going to spare you some of those details, but like it happened really fast. And not only did it happen fast, we were already talking about marriage. So let me just back up a bit. I was 19. <laughs> Actually, I was 18, but I turned 19 and then we, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I had just turned 19. That's right. And <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't actually thinking about marriage. We just almost just started talking so naturally about when, it, when we did get married, <laughs> which is just, I don't know if anyone has had that experience, but it was just the next step for us. We didn't even think twice about it. So this was in May of 1999. And I'm dating myself here a little bit, but in May. So in May, what happens when you're in college is you're just about to go on summer break. So we literally just got together 
and then boom, summer break. And we're not talking where we live a couple hours away and can see each other. We're talking, I'm in Chicago (laughs) and he's in New Hampshire. So this was an immediate phone relationship. Can you even imagine starting off that way? So what's wild is you go back to school in what, September, August, August, September. So we're apart all summer long, somehow managed to survive it. We get back and let's say, you know, August or early September, by November 13th, we were engaged. So that's just how fast our love story happened. And now that gave me 22 amazing years with this man, 22. So, you know, when you talk about people will say to me, you're, you seem so optimistic and like adjusted and I'm not, (laughs) I, I am optimistic. That's just my nature. But, um, I remember when we got his diagnosis saying that in my mind, I thought I'd never speak again. I truly didn't know if I'd be able to speak. I actually thought I'd have one of those notebook moments where when he passed, I was going to close my eyes and just disappear. Like I wouldn't wake back up. My heart would break. Um, so I was, (laughs) I knew I was going to have to cry this episode. Sorry. (laughs) So I knew that things were going to be just impossible without him because we went from, as I said, we got together babies, you know, 19 years old and engaged And our parents, it's funny, we would have been married immediately, but our parents said, we would like you to wait, you know, just until you're done with college. We want to make sure you guys don't basically get pregnant, drop out and be done, (laughs) not have a career and a future, because that was basically our, their story. Uh, My mom and dad and his mom and dad, both very young kids, very early and boom, right into real life. And I think they just wanted more for us. So they wanted us to hold off to get married, which was fine because when once that ring was on my finger, we were married in our own minds anyway. And we didn't have time to plan a wedding, nor did we have finances or anything else at that point. So that was fine. We waited. Um, but uh, I just, I don't remember my life without him at this point because we went from home, living at home, you know, with parents to moving in and being engaged right out of college. Actually, I wasn't even done college. I moved off campus and moved in with him, I think my junior year. And I remember leaving for college, for college, not for college. I remember leaving for the summer and going home to live with my parents still. Even when we were living together and engaged for one more summer, I think my parents just asked if they could have one more summer with me. And I remember we had two kitties at that time. (laughs) And so they like kept him company and I uh, went with my parents for the summer. And I think he spent a lot of time at home with his parents as well. But we were so broke at that point. (laughs) There was a few little like, I'm gonna own up to my dishonesty right now here live with all of you. But we couldn't even afford to get our first apartment together. They required a letter from an employer saying that you work there full time. Um, There was all these stipulations. So he accepted a job at an insurance company just so that he could have him write the letter and we could get the place. And then he didn't even want that job. So he had to like start looking for a job. But um, yeah, so we were breaking rules right from the start. But um, it was funny because we went into this apartment living. I mean... I think for him, it was like, I'm not moving back home. You know, I'm engaged and I'm ready to like start life. But we were basically just college kids still. So 
he had gotten a job while we were in school just to pay for my engagement ring. I remember uh, he worked at an airport pushing those like luggage little things around and emptying like rental cars and all this stuff like and you know when you return those little carts you get like a, a quarter when you return it so he would like get just enough to be able to pay for like a McDonald's hamburger for lunch because he was missing all of our um, meals on campus because he had this job to pay for my ring. I didn't know that or I wouldn't have let him, <laughs> let him do that but um so anyway, yeah, so we had our first little apartment and I wasn't even living in it. I was living with my parents in Chicago. So before I left, I had so much fun. I ran around the house hiding sticky notes everywhere. So like when he turned, when he put the toilet seat up, he would see a sticky note from me underneath it. When he opened the cabinet, he would see, <laughs> I'd left him a little note. So I left him all these fun little notes just so he would have like things that brought a smile or in, in a um, pair of pants, pockets I would stick a little note well then I started hiding money because I remember thinking to myself like and I only had a, a little work study job which was actually being uh, the person keeping the books for his basketball team in college so I did the stats and I like washed their jerseys and whatever I don't know it, it gave me more opportunity to be around him but um <laughs> so I had some money saved up it was probably by book money and I instead would like take a $5 bill and stick it, you know, under the mattress. I would take like a, you know, the rare 20 I might have, <laughs> which is like unlikely. It was probably like a dollar or two here and there, a lot of fives and maybe a 20 and just like hid them throughout our apartment because I already knew he wasn't going to be making enough to afford it. And I was worried about what he was going to sacrifice. And sure enough, he would like, we'd be talking and eh, things are great. What are you? And I'd always ask him, you know, what are you having for dinner? I don't the stupid things we would talk about, but, um, and it sounded like he was eating like the same thing all the time. And it wasn't like his usual. And then he'd be like, yeah, you know, a little, running a little low on money. And then I'd be able to be like, look in the second drawer down on the left and, and be able to like direct him to like some cash that he wasn't expecting. And it was so fun for me. Uh, it's just the silly little things that like make a love story. He was just so romantic with things too that I think I always wanted to return that you know I'd come out of class and I'd go to get in my car and on the front seat there'd be just like a single white rose you know he was just romantic and I loved that about him he wasn't afraid to like talk about me and our relationship to anybody and everybody who would listen and that's a rare quality so many people just I don't know if people think that other people will be turned off by that or they don't feel passionately enough about the person they're with to talk like that but we talked about each other if we weren't talking to each other, we were talking about each other. Probably like that sickening relationship that so many people kind of eye roll at. We weren't disgusting with PDA, but we were always holding hands um, and talking about each other and glancing across the room at each other. And you know, he was just so proud of me. And there's nothing better than a man who's so proud of his woman. He would tell everybody like, she's such a genius. Oh my gosh, not, as, not only is she beautiful, she's an absolute genius, this girl. And he would go on and on and I was always so flabbergasted that that was the lens he saw me through and I loved that to me that was like now you are so attractive that I could only see him spotlight was on him 
all of the time for me because he was so sexy and everything for me. Like he did it all. He didn't like, there wasn't anywhere where I was like, oh, if only he was a little more, you know, a little less awkward socially, or oh, if only, I, you know, when we went places, he could carry a conversation or, you know, wondering what he's over there talking about or wondering if he's over there flirting with this woman. I never had a question about any of that stuff. And those of you who know us personally, I know you right now, you're just going, oh my gosh, yes. Because we were kind of just gross love. <laughs> we were just like perfectly content in our own gross love. So uh, I think, you know, fast forward to having babies and yeah, it was like we still continued to be that way in front of them because we wanted them to become the kind of men like my husband that were like affectionate and showed that and were like so in love with whoever they found and like owned that and all those things and loyal and we're trying to raise boys into men which is no small task but um <laughs> we still continued to be just us I mean I say just us but our just us expanded to our kids so it was went from just the two of us to just the three of us to just the four of us and we were okay with that it's funny like I don't know if all of our friends were always okay with that because you know there was always girls nights or um you know golf events and things and we did from time to time go our separate ways but we did always leave and look forward to seeing each other we left a little early we uh you know didn't partake in the end of the evening or the um or sometimes even like we would go together and people I'm sure were like oh my god cut the cord what's the deal but the deal really was when you are best friends with the person you love there's just no other option. And to say he was my best friend is such an understatement. And now this is the part where things get heavy because we had gotten to the point, our boys were probably about six and nine, that we had done all the things. We had taken trips. We had bought the fancy cars. We had bought our lake house that we dreamed of. We had, you know, the French bulldog we always wanted. We had the perfect jobs. And I mean, at that point, he had the perfect job because I had actually, after having our kids, he was doing so successful. He was so successful that I was able to stay at home with our kids. So, you know, I'd taken almost a decade off. And we had boats. We had done snowmobiles. We had done jet skis. Um... I'm just trying to think if there was like, literally, I can't think of a single box we hadn't checked that we had put on our long-term life plan. And I remember laying in bed with my husband, maybe a week before we got the diagnosis of his brain tumors and saying, he turned to me and said, I could die a happy man. And I was like, come on. He's like, no, really, like, if I died tomorrow, I would die a happy man. There's nothing I haven't done. So as you can imagine, that weighs heavy on me now. Um, yeah, there's a lot we hadn't done. Um, we hadn't seen our kids go off to college or get their first job or fall in love or get married or have their first baby. We never got to sit in those rocking chairs in the front porch like we had always seen in our minds. Um, we were just about to, uh, he wanted to become a CEO and he was right on the cusp of that. And um, 
with that, we were going to start taking more time to travel um, now that our, with our kids, you know, and our kids were getting older and ready for more than just the occasional Disney trip. Whew. Um, yep, there was a lot that we still hadn't done. And I had a little anger with God. Like, you know, did you take that literally? <laughs> did you run with that and think that, okay, you know, I put them on this earth and they've accomplished everything they wanted and oh yeah that's heavy um I don't think that's what happened now uh, in hindsight I don't think that's what happened at all I will say though that I definitely questioned whether or not you know the sorry I'm like taking my time with how I say this but that, you know, that saying of like the good die young, it's so true. Uh, and so there's got to be something to that. I don't think that that can be a coincidence because, I mean, I'm sure plenty of not great people die young too, but it certainly seems like my favorite people just keep dropping and pick, getting picked off. Um, the people that really seem to have it all together had checked all the boxes. <laughs> and so you wonder like, is there a battle going on up in heaven? <laughs> I ask myself that all the time. You know, did God need them there more than they're needed here now? And um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that at all. Um, I know that there's still a lot of good that he could have done here on this earth. So there had to have been a bigger purpose for him there or for me here without him and that is a hard pill to swallow yeah uh, serendipity hmm. it's just that our whole life had been happy accidents being at a certain place at a certain time just a total coincidence um, that ended up being a beautiful gift that's how like we ended up together at the right timing for both of us and um the way we got, you know, our first homes and the way that we finally ended up having a pregnancy that took because we had had um, a lot of, well, we had one miscarriage and then we had my first son and then we had a lot of miscarriages before my second son. But every time it was the happy accidents, you know, um, a lot of serendipity. We, I had type one diabetes and you know, there was times where my blood sugar was out of control. And one of the consequences of that is birth defects. So we always looked at even something as heavy as a miscarriage as a gift that God knew it wasn't right yet or right then. Um, but yeah, serendipity kind of fell off the wagon. So as I said, we... Um, were in our castle, so to speak, where we had everything, you know, we were, we were looking at this beautiful life that most people envied and, and then cancer knocked at the door and boy, there was nothing serendipitous about that. So it's good timing to take a quick break, I think, because the second half of this story is how we did fall from our castle to cancer and just what that did to somebody who was so in love and had so two lives so intertwined and how am I standing here today 
talking about this and um, smiling as I reminisce and yes, crying some too because who wouldn't, but I want to just tell you how I got to there from here. So don't go anywhere and I'll be right back. So I have my doctorate in physical therapy and while I'm not a practicing physical therapist at this time and I'm not your doctor and I'm not giving medical advice or um, emotional advice, I do have a unique perspective on grief coming from more of a health approach, um, knowing how it affects your body's systems and um, it felt like a really great match for me as I was moving through this process and finding really great techniques and ways to get myself through the really hard times. And it's not about not experiencing the bad stuff, but finding ways to kind of not get stuck there. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the sad sack in the corner who is bringing down the energy at a party. I don't want to always have to be excusing myself to wipe my tears away during major momentous occasions, you know, kids' graduations or weddings of friends and baby showers. But, you know, it was in my mind always about the missing piece and the empty seat in the room. And if you're finding yourself struggling with some of that stuff and you've never, you know, sought counseling for it or you've never worked with a coach before, um, but you're feeling like you could just use a little assist and that's the level that you're at. Um, you know, if, if you're needing more, there's certainly more help out there and I can help direct you to that as well. But if you're just looking for some grief coaching, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching at this time. I can't promise it's always going to be there. I'm going to be moving more into some group work and programs. But for now, I am still available on a one-to-one -one basis and I'll drop the link in the description. So if you're looking for that, just head on over to my podcast description and you'll see the link there. All right, guys, back to the show. So if you want to talk about the worst day of a person's life, whew, drop cancer in the mix. <laughs> I mean, I almost want to say the day that my husband walked through the door and told us he had three brain tumors was worse than the day we lost him because we knew his passing was coming um, at that point and had a little bit of time to prepare, but the shock connected to, he was having migraines. And, you know, typically being a physical therapist, I had all kinds of solutions to offer and suggest. And um, typically anything, anything like a, you know, sore ankle or a, you know, knee problem or a rotator cuff issue or a headache, I had something in my toolbox that could help him. And this time nothing was working. So we kind of thought something was off, but you know, he drank a lot of coffee. That was like one of his downfalls. And you know, just having a high stress job and all these things, we just assumed it was stress related uh, and or uh, just, you know, something, I mean, people have migraines. It's not life ending or life altering. But we had my brother and sister-in-law and their kids up to our house one day and the guys were golfing. I want to say we had had a couple drinks the night before, but like not that much. Um, and then the next morning, the guys got up early to go play golf. And before they left, my husband threw up um, from the pain of the migraine. Again, not unusual per se, but definitely something worthy of paying attention to. And because of the length of time that those 
migraines had been going on for. I had been encouraging him to be seen by his primary care, but he had been putting it off. That's what we all do. <laughs> and then my brother actually said, dude, you need to get seen for this. Like this is, that's not normal. You need to go see your doctor. Um, and so he did. He finally said, you know what? You're right. I want to say a week or two later is when he got in to see the doctor. And even after that MRI, I remember him saying to me, like, the look on her face, he could see her face. I don't know if she knew he could see her face because where the mirror was, that they have like a mirror in there so he could see. <laughs> it didn't feel so closed in, I think, is why they do it. But he could see her face and he was concerned. And he heard little bits of conversation that had him concerned as well. But in a million years, three brain tumors was not on our radar, something that could happen. And because we were living by the lake and reception on our cell phones isn't always great, and our kids are quite often loud, he had left the house and gone up towards like a higher parking area to just make sure he had reception and wasn't even in the room with me when he got the news so I don't know how long he stood there I don't know what he did to gather himself before he came back but um when he told us that he had those brain tumors I remember distinctly the look on his face um that there's like five seconds of pause of just staring at each other and our babies were like six and nine were just like playing and so unaware of what was happening. Oh, that was the worst day of my life. Because I felt it all end right there. Like, even though I knew there was possibility, there's potential that, you know, we might find a solution. It was like knowing, I mean, three. We're not talking about one, we're talking about three. So my heart just stopped because I started thinking, oh no, is it because it's already progressing and spreading? Um, and he said that they suggested to him on the phone they thought it was melanoma. And that made no sense, but he had had one spot removed years before and um, the spot was tested to be normal. And other than that, we hadn't seen anything so you know, and how by an MRI could somebody tell melanoma from any other type of cancer or tumor? So we thought they were out of their minds a little bit, but I think that was wishful thinking. But um, hearing the word melanoma and in your brain, I was already thinking it had metastasized and spread. <sighs> you know, I talked about um, seeing yourself sick in another episode. And this comes into play a little bit because the second I heard all of those words all put together, end of life was like in my mind, you know, you can't unhear what you've just heard. And there was no going back on that for me. I really tried hard to lose all of that. But once it's in there, it's in there. And um, he was really so optimistic. I still remember like months later, as we're going through all of this, and after we had actually known it was melanoma, and he'd had a couple surgeries, but I still remember him looking at me like, what, it's not that serious. Like, it's not gonna, it's not like I'm gonna die. Like, I remember him saying that to me. Like, it's not like, you know, this is the end. And 
I just kind of looked at him like, oh my gosh, like, is he not wanting to believe this? Or is it so unbelievable? Or is he unaware? I didn't know. But um, my experience in the medical field with just seeing cases like his weren't great. (laughs) And um, I didn't want to lower his hope or, um, you know, contribute to any of that negative spiraling. So we did stay so optimistic. But grief process-wise, it started then. 100% it started then. Um, Yeah. Um, You start trying to figure out... I mean, first of all, we were in, like, complete fight mode. So first things we were trying to figure out just had to do with survival. At a certain point, so many surgeries, progression is still happening. Um, You've gone through 75% or so of the toolbox of options available and none are working. There was a little shift in, um, he started trying to prepare me and having me uh, make lists of all the people who did, you know, this is our water guy, this is the guy who does you know, our oil, this is the phone number for the lawyer, this is, you know, all those things, making sure everything was in both our names and um, all that stuff. We had time, at least most families don't. And we did start trying to do that, although neither one of us liked to linger on it for long. Um, When it's your brain and spine, I just can't even tell you guys. I pray for you to never have to experience that with someone because it's like... um, watching a slow and painful death because you see somebody who's super high functioning and able to do everything slowly start to trip and uh, struggle to go up and down stairs and then start seeing things like uh, inability to to like just do major functions and it just slowly slowly goes until it takes a person. I don't want this episode to be all negative and down. Quite the opposite. I really want this to be more about the serendipity of it all Um, and the beauty of just loving someone so much and how you can come out the other side still shiny. (laughs) And the truth is, I think the people... Sorry about that. My phone's making noise in the background. Um, I think the people who struggle the most with loss are the people who didn't have what we had before like we were so good so good that the one thing I can say is after he passed I didn't have regret like I didn't linger on the would have should have could have I wish we'd spent more time doing this or less time doing that or arguing about these things we didn't have any of that so that part when you cannot have that already makes things a little less murky Um, but then, you know, I mean, there's, there's still so much. So at that point, you know, our, we had not separated ourselves from our friends, but you know, we weren't, we were at a point in our marriage where, and our kids were so busy with school sports and activities. And, um, you know, we were busy with like buying our lake house and, you know, moving in and do like always something. There was always something or fun stuff like taking trips and stuff but we were always so busy that it did become like the just the four of us 
And then all of a sudden, like, after losing him, certainly the doors open and, like, people start coming in, whether you want it or not. And um, I was back and forth on that point, um, sometimes really wanting it because the silence was deafening and other times desperately needing it because I was overwhelmed by this new way that wasn't our way. Um, So, yeah, I got uh, the serendipity of it is for me anyway is that it's not serendipity at all you know I spent my whole life talking about serendipity and these happy accidents that happen and a lot of beautiful coincidences do happen and did happen in my life but I think of it more now as and it's taken the loss of him for me to really see it this way as God's plan and protection over us because I wanted things sometimes so desperately, like when we were trying to buy our lake house, I might have said this in another episode, but we were wanting it and wanting it, it wasn't happening for us, couldn't see why, couldn't understand why. Well, I would have lost my lake house if it hadn't worked out the way it did with us getting, it's just a long story, but there's so many things that now hindsight has shown me were beautiful gifts from God and having our kids at the timing that we did and um, so that they were at least old enough to be close to, you know, able to stay home alone because before we really did need two parents to balance everything we were doing. And, um, you know, the timing of it, ugh, I hate to say it was good. That's not right. (laughs) It was really bad. Um, We had a lot of years to go that we were gypped of so I'll never say any timing is good, anything short of like 90 years old and, you know, but um, there are so many other times in our life that it would have been so much worse and I wouldn't have been able to deal with everything on my plate um, or do certain things without him that, you know, <laughs> from the time I was a little girl, I always wanted to live at the lake. That was just something that was in my blood And um, I remember even in elementary, middle, high school, driving through the very town that I live in now, which actually wasn't that far from the town that my husband grew up in, um, and saying, I want to live there someday. Someday I'm going to live there because it was like boats in everybody's backyard and lake every time you turned a corner. And it felt like vacation. You know, there was like go-karts and mini golf and like it just felt like vacation central it kind of was and ironically enough it's the first place that we moved to once we got out of that first little apartment was that exact town that I was driving through on that school bus um you know and I remember on my prom night standing on the upper deck of a big boat looking out at the lake and saying like my husband could be out there well I kid you not he grew up on that lake and not only did he grow up on that lake, but I was probably looking at the very house we live in when I said it. Is that not crazy? That's serendipity. That's magic. Like, I was on my prom. So, like, okay, so this is 1996 or 7, probably. I mean, 97 is when I graduated. So, you know, here I am on a boat on the very lake I ended up buying my dream lake house on in the very town I said someday I wanted to live in. Like all of this and with this, my husband living on that lake. I mean, 
it's so wild that I could have actually been looking right at his house or looking at our current house when I said those words. Serendipity's all around you. You just have to be willing to like look around and thank God for the those beauty beauty things, those <laughs> beautiful moments. Um, I don't want to ever take any of that for granted. And even even just how beautifully timed the loss of him was that it was for the first time not um, bad timing in the sense that we were doing something, some major purchase or some major, you know, job shift or some major, you know, like everything was just settled and calm. And that's a beautiful gift. I don't know how else to look at it. It, (laughs) You have to be able to see it that way. So as always, I'm saying, put your rose colored glasses back on and stop complaining. But, um, There's always someone else out there with a story that's harder than yours. And I didn't tell you guys all of the terrible stories. I mean, I could go on and on about them. But this story is a story of two people who fell completely madly in love at a very young age. And the serendipity of it is that we had 22 long years together. I didn't meet him in my 40s. You know, I mean, plenty of people do. They, plenty of people never meet their person, that special person that they, their world revolves around, you know, like I did. So I already knew that I had something a lot of people would never have. And I had it for 22 years. So angry as I might be, frustrated as I might be, you know, just devastated. And as you can hear in my voice throughout this episode, I cry a lot. <laughs> it's not, it's still very much a raw nerve, but I've learned how to move through it and then turn back to the light and it's a beautiful and amazing thing because I still feel him near me as a matter of fact I dreamt of him last night giving me a big hug and saying he only had three days that God was letting him come back for three days so it was it felt per it felt perfect to do this it really did I felt like yeah this is a good time to do this episode um because he really feels close right now I don't know what that meant, but maybe, you know, in the next three days, he's going to be looking out for me a little bit more than usual, but, um, he's nearby and I know that and my kids know that and we're about as adjusted as you can be given the circumstances, given that our hero is not here any longer. So my homework advice for you today, (laughs) hug the one you love so dear, tell them that you love them and If anything tragic happens, see the beauty in the fact that the timing of things, maybe it was that that was just right. Maybe it was the fact that, you know, you were blessed to have a lot of time with them before they passed or that you got to have that one last visit that time or I don't know, find a little nugget and cling on because, you know, maybe there's a bigger plan still in play and you don't know how it's all going to unwind and unravel, but maybe just maybe in hindsight, just like myself, you will be able to look back and, and make a little sense of the completely senseless. So I'm so grateful that you joined me today and allowed me to tell my story. I don't know how many people are going to actually want to listen to this episode, but um, yeah, for me, it's like a bedtime story that I kind of relive in my own mind all the time. I love talking about him and I'm so appreciative to you to giving for giving me a sounding board to talk about my most amazing love story and yeah hopefully it just inspires you to spend time with the ones you love and appreciate what you have all right guys hopefully i'll see you on the next episode thanks so much for joining me today bye-bye